Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Spodcast. We are live. This is a live show that we're doing. First time we've ever tried to do this. I guess we did something similar with like a podcast or like a Spodcast or Diecast or whatever, where I played CK2 on Twitch, but that didn't quite work out the same. Uh, this is just no, this. because uh, I wasn't there to absolutely humiliate everybody by saying controversial things in front of a live audience with no yes. ability to censor me. Yes, I have no means of editing you out except for, you know, I can probably edit you out of the archive video at some point, but. Okay, well, that's that's fine. Yeah, uh, let me know if the audio balance is a little bit uh, off for anybody. Um, I didn't have the time to check these beforehand. But Otherwise, we're just going to assume that our voices are at the perfect level, uh, saying the perfect things, just the perfect addition to your perfect life. Yeah. Uh, so, from what I can see from my own like audio monitoring, it looks like we're okay. I need to be a little bit louder, or they need to be a little bit quieter. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this is the Spodcast Live, uh, where we talk about video games ostensibly. Um, and, man, what a fucking month I have had. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about video games. Speaking of which, my so, life is in Yeah, ruins. so uh, if you remember a couple years ago on the Diecast, I had a, a, a segment where I talked about repairing my kitchen sink. Um well, on this show, I'll be talking about how my water heater blew up. Uh, and then before that, I got into a car crash. Uh, so I had to spend $1,000 on a new water heater. I got to buy a new car. This is great. Everything's great for me right now. How are you, Red Scarn? So just to be clear, you are okay, right? Oh, people yeah. People who haven't heard this, you're, you're not... Yeah, um, I didn't get to, like I've talked about this on Twitter, but I, I haven't actually mentioned it really very much on the the podcast. So let me kind of like paint a picture of like what's going on here, what happened with this car accident. So um, I this is actually a Sunday where we decided not to record anything, um, and and we all decided that. And I went out to get um, some groceries and. Uh, Ironically, I wanted to get some scotch for the weekend. Uh, so I'm heading to the liquor store and uh, I'm at an intersection. I'm, I'm stopped at a red light in a left turn lane. Uh, so I'm, let me, let me kind of like cardinal direction this so I can give you a, like, cause this is difficult to describe if you're just talking about that guy over there. Um, so I am facing east uh, looking at an intersection in a left turn lane so I can turn left to go north. And uh, I'm just sitting there and, and you know, listening to an audiobook on my phone uh, and and uh, it's like 7 p.m. It's dark outside. And I just kind of see this person start to, to turn. And this person is, uh, is facing south in this intersection and turning right so they can go west. So they're turning right to go like the opposite direction that I'm facing. Um, 
And this person starts to turn, like it's a green light and starts to turn, but instead of doing what any normal person would do, which is to just turn right into the two lanes that he has, he swings really wide out. And uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at this guy and going like, what is going on? Like initially I didn't really register what was happening until like he started to turn right into me and I'm honking my horn and he slams into me head on from a right turn, uh, ending up into my left turn lane, uh, at like five miles an hour. Um, and like, just literally looks like a deer in headlights. Cause he's in my headlights. Um, like, like this bewildered old white guy, uh, backs up a bit and gets up onto the shoulder between, uh, the lanes that he was going to go into and my lane. Uh, and, and I'm like, you know, starting to get out of my car to like talk to him, like, oh good, I gotta go and get insurance information, whatever. And he just like fucking books it. He drives off and uh, it's dark and I don't really have a good angle so I don't get his uh, his license plate number. So this guy manages to just like get away, apparently scot-free. Uh, must have been drunk, I imagine. Cause like, why would you risk getting caught doing a hit and run uh, if, you know, like, yes, you're at fault, but you're not going to get, like, thrown in jail, right? Whereas if you do a hit and run, you know, that's actually a, that's a felony, I think. Um, and... Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad stuff. If you like, hit a so, car in the United States, you want to stop and sort that shit out. It doesn't yeah. matter how not your fault it was, doesn't matter how much a hurry you are, otherwise it is going to haunt you. Yeah, so uh, I, he may have gotten off, you know, just fine. Uh, I didn't get any follow up from anyone, so uh, but but you know, I figure he must have have been under the influence and and possibly someone who maybe had had prior DUIs because like first DUI you don't usually get thrown into prison or anything. Uh, you know, your your license gets suspended and oh good, my phone is going off with a number. That says scam the joy of likely. live television. Yeah, I should have put my phone. On. <laughs> All right, put them on. I'm here too. Our to... first segment. <laughs> Chris and I haven't said anything yet, so hi, we're hi, also Alex. here. By the way, hi everyone. Hi. Um, so I, I figure that was that was a very drunk person because how do you how do you manage to turn into the oncoming left lane when you're turning right? Uh, it was, uh, of course, uh, for anyone who is. Uh, driving with British rules think of this as a left turn and me as a right turn uh, but for everybody who drives on the right side of the road uh, it, it, it's just like I, I'd never been in a car accident before while driving by the way this is the first time I've been in a car accident after like you know 12-13 years of, of driving regularly uh, and of all the ways I expected my first car accident to go that was not it on the other hand there's no way I'm at fault here. I'm sitting still where I'm supposed to be and someone runs into me. So I'm actually uh, finally getting all that sorted um, with my insurance and getting a cash settlement uh, tomorrow, at which point I probably will go and get a used car, a uh, new used car. How are you eating? How am I eating? Well, I, I like like I, I know you work from home, so the only time you leave is to go get food. How do you go get food without a car? 
Oh, well, my car isn't, like, undrivable. It's not in great shape, but I it's it's drivable-esque. But if it hadn't been, then I would have been able to get um really cheap rental car from uh, from my insurance, because that's part of my insurance plan. Um, okay. But, but... Like, I, I've never yeah. been in an accident, so I don't know how it works. Uh, that said, I, I have I have actually been using a lot of, like, I tried out Amazon Prime now, um, and I've been using that a bunch to, like, get groceries because i don't feel like driving my car which is now overheating uh, a lot and and doesn't feel that great to drive right now uh uh, and i don't want to go to the grocery store and have to go and do that and uh that's pretty neat uh it's actually more affordable than i expected it to be um because because you get like a service fee which is a couple dollars and then you know your tip to the uh to the delivery driver and then there is like the delivery fee but if you spend more than $35 on a single transaction then uh, the delivery fee is waived completely so um, well, that's working out for you yeah and then last week uh, I get up in the morning on I think Wednesday uh, last week, uh, I get up in the morning and I notice that my water pressure in my uh, master bedroom bathroom faucet is a little bit off. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go and check the the kitchen sink. As I go to the kitchen sink, um, I, I walk past the door to my garage and I hear this loud rushing sound. <laughs> And I'm like, oh no. I open the door and the front of my water heater is just gushing water like a bathtub faucet on full blast. And like the entire garage is flooded. And like, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on with this month? So I shut down the water, call a plumber, get them to come in and fix it. Um, and end up spending like $1,100 on a water heater that I didn't really want to spend this month either. So this has been great. I don't The gradual destruction of all the large complex uh, appliances that make your life possible. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I once had to wait a month to get a microwave replaced. That was a fun month of like, how do I reheat this food? Can I use my my convection oven? <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm glad sorry. that you're not in an iron lung. Yeah, really. Um, this is a podcast. It's about video games. I'm told. Why don't, we, why don't we talk about some of those? I'm down. Does anyone want to go first? Uh, I'll take a swing at it. So, you guys uh, may have followed a certain trend uh, when I talk about games that I've gotten into. Uh, they tend to be indie games that are single player and reasonably casual. Uh, it's it, you know with kind of like my uh, like three or four jobs, you know it can sometimes be difficult to get into a game that requires a more significant advancement uh, investment. And that is... Do you guys ever have that? Where, like, you don't want to get into a multiplayer shooter because, like, you don't want the upkeep of the multiplayer shooter? I have been feeling like that about it's why everything I, lately. 
it, it's why I've struggled to get back into Overwatch after they've added maps and characters that I have no idea how to play with, and all the Mercy changes because I used to main Mercy, so I just stopped playing. Yeah, Mercy is not in a great spot right now. Well, that, that's generally my thoughts about Overwatch uh, since the release of Overwatch. Basically, I didn't get into it the first week it came out, and by the second week, I concluded, well, everybody's figured out how to play it by now. I'd have to catch up, so. And that is that has been my excuse ever since. Uh, but, you know, everybody's been playing Overwatch, and everybody's been getting Overwatch, talking about Overwatch. It's a huge part of the cultural conversation, so... Uh, naturally, finally, I got into Fistful of Frags, a uh, free-to-play Wild West shooter with a very small community of people who are aggressively, aggressively into it. How's and it's weird. It's odd. It's a very odd game. Uh, I, I, so one thing about it is... Uh, I, can you guys think of another example of, like, a big non-mod, like, multiplayer shooter uh, that's just developed for free, for without, for, like, not-for-profit? Not-for-profit at all? Um, nope. Uh, he, he has not made a dime. Uh, how? Like, does he, does uh, he just... He just does it for... F did he inherit, like, some old rich uncle's estate and now he's just got all the money that he needs to live forever like I have no idea I do know that he has like sunk money into developing it uh, as well as time I but as far as I know so go yeah go ahead this is stuff that I can edit out when it's not a live show <laughs> well, yes, I was for, for those say, of you at home, about 40% of our show is Mexican standoffs. Please continue, Chris. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that I can think of lots of free-to-play games, and I, th I can think of games that were made for free, but I can't think of any non-for-profit releases that are not mods that, are, that exist wholly on their own as games that are multiplayer shooters specifically. Like, I can think of a few Doom mods that are like, total conversions of Doom that might as well be their own games that were made basically for free. But that's not a multiplayer game at the level of fidelity you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, kind of the the, the output of this is that the developer of the game can say, fuck you, I want to make it this way. <laughs> if you don't like my updates, piss off. Uh, which is... Kind of uh, interesting. In fact, one of the most recent... You know how, like, when you bring up Steam, uh, when you bring up a game on Steam, you have, like, recent news? Uh, in January... The, from, from January, on the 7th, there's just an announcement that says, why developing this game isn't fun anymore. Oh, man. And then the next one is, there will be no peace for the wicked. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So anyway, um, there's a lot of odd things about the game. Uh, let, let me get into like the, the basic things that I, I thought were cool or unusual. One factor is... Alright, so here's the development issue that the guy's facing uh, when he's making a Wild West shooter. Uh, you've got two obstacles in developing a game that is faithful as a Wild West experience. The first is that a multiplayer shooter 
does not necessarily feel like a Wild West game. It doesn't, like, even if, you know, you're, you're shooting with, like, Wild West weapons and a Wild West map, uh, it doesn't necessarily directly feel like, you know, just trying to rack up a high kill count doesn't feel very Old Westy somehow. Doesn't feel very mythological, you know? Uh, so that's, that's one thing. And the other obstacle is, so the, you know, the Old West was, to put it lightly, a period of martial improvement at an accelerated rate. Uh, within a span of, like, 40 years, weapons technology went through a massive revolution, and there was a very wide spectrum of firearms... Uh, and other weapons from this era that go through a... that are all very iconic as Western weapons, and all of them you'd want in your Western shooter, but some of them are just objectively better than others. Uh, like, there, there's no reason to use a uh, Navy revolver, like a Colt Navy revolver, over, like, a Colt Peacemaker, especially. It's just a worse gun. So does he have that, like, set up in, like, upgrade trees where you... You use the the initial that be the old and busted like eighteen fifty four version of a gun, and then you you get up to like the eighteen nineties versions. See, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Like that'd be the first solution that like a Call of Duty style game would come up with. Yeah. And I would not be interested in playing that game. Because I don't want to join a server where there's some kid who's been playing the game continuously since release, uh, who instantly gets eight frags uh, by spinning around in a circle with his Bowie knife, and then upgrades to the best guns in the game and completely, like, starts a shutout. Uh, like, that's not a fun game. And plus, like, I don't want to have to start every match using, like, this old busted, like, you know... This, just like this, this terrible black powder revolver, just so I can maybe upgrade to the Schofeld, which is the gun I actually want to use. Uh, so the developer actually came up with kind of an interesting compromise. Uh, so when the game starts, you have a skill menu come up, and basically you've got eleven points uh, that you can use to purchase, and you can purchase primary weapons, and, like, you, you you know, some of them are objectively better than others. It's, like, all the way at, like, there's Derringer, there's, like, a bow and arrow, <laughs> there's, like, like, black powder shotgun, or, actually, no, the, the shotgun uses shells, but there's, like, you know, just black powder pistols, all the way up through, like, uh, I think, like, you know, some of the best pistols are, like, the, the Schofeld, which, like, has a quick reload, where you reload all five, uh, all five, uh, cylinder, like, a chambers at once and you know, there's the 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 walker colt which is a black powder gun takes forever to reload but also just does a shitload of damage because the bolts are like the size of pachinko balls and it also has you know skills where you can like have okay you have a dominant hand and you're more accurate with that dominant hand or you're ambidextrous and you can use a gun in either hand and it's like you can't aim at two different targets or anything but like you can alternate because reloading is really slow um and what it does is, the better the loadout you have, the fewer points you get for killing somebody. Oh, interesting. And this, and this actually ties into a larger system uh, called notoriety. And how notoriety works is you basically get more points for killing somebody depending on the circumstance. 
depending on how good your guns are, how good their guns are. I'm pretty sure, like, also how high they are on the leaderboard versus how high you are on the leaderboard. Uh, so if somebody has a lot of notoriety, killing them gives you more notoriety. Oh, that's neat. That fits a, a Wild West setting a little, pretty well, I'd say. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 not really the sort of thing where in the pitched battle where you can, like, seek out the high-value targets, especially since there's not very many character models. Like, there, there are teams, uh, and people who are on the same team, uh, the, the differences between their models can be almost just unnoticeable to, I think, actually just non-existent. Right. Uh, but, yeah. So that, that, that that's that's... Kind of a cool system. And then there's a system which uh, I I can't wrap my head around. There, there's a mechanic which I'm not even sure if it makes sense or if it's good or not. So most of the maps you get into are going to be... Like, most of the servers that are around are deathmatch servers. And you can do a free-for-all deathmatch, but generally what people do is team deathmatch. And then... Which which has like a, a number of teams between one and four, and the teams are all like Wild West themed. Like there's desperados, there's vigilantes, there's rangers, and there's banditos, and like they're all pretty visually distinct. And there's like blue, yellow, red, green. Right. Um. Although the green the the, the green rangers actually just wear suits. Uh. But here's the thing: when you're in a team deathmatch. Yeah, okay, so you can't hurt your team members. Uh, you know, you, you... In theory, you spawn near your team members. But you don't actually share a score with your team. Hmm. It's still scoring each player individually. And then at the end, it just prevents, like, it presents, like, the top ten highest scoring players. So, the team mechanic basically just exists to give you a bunch of targets that are not, like enemies, or a bunch of people that you can go and hide by when you're reloading your guns, especially, like, your black powder guns that take forever. I don't know if I've ever played a team-based game that explicitly denounced teamwork. Yeah, like, mo especially most modern shooters are, are very much, like, if you're on a team your individual contributions are usually pretty downplayed. Like, like hell, Overwatch doesn't even have a leaderboard for kills. You just see who has golds and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing where if you're in a corner and there's a guy who runs out in front of you and your teammate shoots him in the back, like, you're kind of pissed at your teammate. Or at yeah. least you would be if you got mad at first-person shooters, which I try not to. Uh, and I will say that uh, Fistful of Frags, like, the whole notoriety system, in some ways is self-balancing with regards to frustration. Because even if I'm losing, he's using a bow and arrow. I'm using a Schofeld revolver. Yeah, I'm losing by points, but I'm not dying as often as I would be if all of the weapons were balanced. Yeah. I'm not, like, just getting headshot at every turn. So, even if he's winning, it's somehow not quite as frustrating. And I kind of like that. So is it good though? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm having how, fun. How many, how many hours have you put into it? Uh, good question. Let me let me double check here. Um, ten. 
It's actually That's nine point three Rotskarn. Okay, I will say that that is about two hours of playing it with other human beings and about eight hours of playing it with bots. Uh, I, I I play it with bots to blow off steam. I play it with other human beings when I okay. So what actually happened was I discovered that they had some like weird single player challenge modes, and I tried them and they're frustrating as fuck, especially since you don't understand how to play the game playing it against bots. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I was like, oh, okay, so I have, like, uh, slots on my left hand, slots on my right hand. Since reloading takes so long, what I want to do is get as many guns as I can and be ambidextrous. And then just, like, when I run out of bullets, I just switch to a new gun. Uh, that was a terrible idea. You, what you really <laughs> want to do is have one gun that you like and make sure that you keep it loaded and hide whenever you're loading it. Like, that's how you play the game. Uh, and I, I didn't just... So I, I got really frustrated with those, and at some point I'm like, eh, what the fuck, I'll, I'll get over it and I'll play against some humans. And I immediately learned a lot of lessons, and then I'm like, okay, you know what? Um, I'm doing well with this gun, but I don't know if I understand the system so well. Let's take this... Let's actually create servers and populate them with nothing but bots, instead of trying these, like, dumbass challenge modes that are way too hard. And in that way, I've been learning some stuff, and I've actually been learning that I don't want to go with the gun that I'm best at. Uh, I want to go with the gun that I'm second best at, because it is a much lower notoriety cost, but it's still good enough that it doesn't make much of a difference in my score. Yeah, so that, that, like, that's an interesting one. That's always something that, like, happens to me about, like, 15 or 20 hours into playing a new, uh, you know, like arena shooter or whatever is like, you, you start to understand the game well enough to, to know like, okay, actually I don't like this gun that looked good to me initially. And I want to try something else or I don't like this loadout. Um, that usually to me is the, the mark of the point where like, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm actually into this. That's when you start like the next uh, the next chapter of Siddhartha, basically. <laughs> yeah. You leave beside the trappings of your old like high powered gun focused life and refocus and cut your life down. Do the simple things. This could be interesting to do as like a, a multiplayer stream thing or something. I'm looking at it on Steam right now. I we there's no reason we couldn't do it. Yeah. I, it's very stable. It's free. Uh, it's apparently running on the Source engine, so... Yeah, no, I, I, plus it, it's actually a pretty small game. Or mm -hmm. maybe I just downloaded it quickly for some reason. With your internet. I, I, I recommend people try it. You downloading something quickly sounds unreasonable. <laughs> I will say that one of the many minor improvements my life has undergone uh, in, in the, 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 this recent past is that I have achieved internet, which is on par with uh, the, the mid-20th century. You've achieved internet that is on par with the DARPA days? Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> Previously, it was more like uh, a piece of string connected by two tin cans. Pony Express. Yeah, basically there's just a, a rider who would knock on my door and he'd be like, Here you are, sir, and he'd hand me an envelope and I'd open it and say, One. I'd hear distant hoofbeats and a wait. Will it be a one? A zero? Only time will tell.
And does it, does it have to tell you that it that it did receive it or not? <laughs> I have to send word back by the same stout pony yeah, expressman. Yeah. Is it, is oh, we it, have we have a drop packet. He was shot by highwaymen. Um, who knows? Alex, how have you been doing? What's up? Hi, I'm here. Um, yeah, it's been going great. I got home from the international auto show today. Autos. And so that was fun. Yes, yeah. I have some I questions. Don't, I, yeah, ask me some questions about autos. Why? Um, it's not by choice. Okay. It is slightly by choice. I'm not the car person. But, um, you know, it's good. I'm in the market for a new vehicle. And so I've been kind of scoping out. And it's kind of nice because every car that you could possibly reasonably purchase is at the auto show so you can kind of jump in a car really quickly and move on to the next car to get a sense of like at least what it looks like and looks like to um on the inside the outside and like what it feels like to sit in it right so like you can't test drive the cars because that's just bonkers but you can (laughs) look at a bunch of cars at once and then they have like um they have like old cars and exotic cars and then it was so funny they had a new section this year um for just hot wheels stuff and that was really cool there was like a darth vader type car and then they had like a kids area where you could just like a lego area but for just hot wheels so that was really cool and then they made like a big display of like a hot wheels city so they had like this whole course set up where there was loops and um towers and it was really cool and then i walk up to it and then none of the cars were able to like do the course because they didn't put enough motors throughout the come on the whole thing so (laughs) there was just like two people there that kept like taking the cars that would just like fly off the sides and they just fly off anyways even if they didn't make a didn't get enough speed they just like fly everywhere so they had these little little claw like, you know those, like, things that old people have when they want to, like, get something from the shelf? Right. But they're, like... They, that you can buy but it's, it's safer to have the claw. Yeah, so they had those, and they were just, like... Every two seconds, a new car would, like, fly off, and the kids were like, wow, that's so cool, <laughs> And they're, like... They just looked like their lives were just, like, not great. Because all they had to do was pick up Hot Wheels. And then they had the they had a sign that said like Hot Wheels Collector Meetup on Tuesday. And I'm like, oh, I can imagine what that is like. Like, could you imagine who what, what? kind of people like yeah, not to be like... judgy or anything, but I'm just like, what demographic is that? Who like what I, I didn't I... know there were people that collected Hot Wheels. Yeah, I've I've never even considered the existence of like that fandom like what what are the really serious hot wheels collectors like look like what do they do (laughs) i know i need to know it's all just the micro machines guy that talks really fast (laughs) (laughs) oh man are micro machines still a thing uh i don't know i feel like they would be a choking hazard today like they would be seen as dangerous but they probably still exist 
Like, that's why Mighty Max doesn't exist, or Polly Pocket. Or they do, but the Polly Pockets are, like, three inches big now, which kind of makes them not pocket-sized uh, anymore. Or Connects. Remember Connects? And some are of them Kinex had no those really tiny pieces. Pardon? Are Connects no longer a thing? Now I'm sad. I, I don't Kinex. think so. Yeah. Yeah, I... but there's so many small pieces, it would be a choking hazard. I think I, I have think. a Connects set in my garage, actually. I'm not sure if I right, uh, have that, or I did. Connects are still available. Okay. Uh, they may not be marketed as, as widely, but there there are still connects to be had. Uh, as for micro machines, much like everything else, uh, they were they ceased becoming available around 2008 and then got rebooted within the past few years. Okay. Hmm. I I don't know why, but I feel like I've seen that pattern on Wikipedia a lot. Like, something that we figured would always be there went around, like, at the end of the 2000s and then suddenly came back just about now. Like, I think I think even Barney did the same thing? Uh, really? I mean, I... the thing I've heard about Barney recently is that one of the actors who played Barney in the early 90s is now a Craigslist sex guru, so... What? No, I don't believe that. I watched a documentary on Barney. The guy who played Barney. Really? There's been like four or five, though. Yeah, like... Oh, well, like the long-time one. I don't know if I believe that. I need to see receipts, Josh. I, I don't want to believe it. I'll look it up. Okay, uh, so production of new episodes ceased in 2009... Uh, a revival of the series was set for 2017 launch, although it's since vanished. Okay, I have. But we still a... might be getting a new Barney reboot very soon. I, I have a, a yes, business a insider Barney reboot. I have a business insider article here um, from January 24th, uh, 2018. The actor who played Barney is now a tantric sex specialist who charges $350 a session and advises against condoms, and he only accepts female clients. Okay. So, for the record, this is this is this this is the actor. This is the well, also that, but this is the actor that played Barney in the suit. I imagine the documentary you watched, Alex, was Bob West, the guy who voiced the character. That could be, yes. Ah, okay, so it wasn't the same person. No, it was like a Darth Vader situation. They uh -huh. had one guy in the suit and one guy doing the voice. Yes, Alex, Alex saw a documentary about the voice of reason, uh, about Barney's soul. Uh, Josh is speaking of the beast within Barney. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Podcast, not video games. Uh, Paul Lim is asking in chat, uh, what about magnetics? Anyone remember those? Uh, what is that? Let's see. I might. I believe that that was a, it was a consign of constructors which used uh, magnet ball bearings. No, I've never I seen watch a so so I watch a first of all there are people at my office that have them like stuck on dry erase boards that are magnetic so I, I see them every day um I don't know if you can still buy them because of the whole magnetic ball bearing thing where those became illegal because they oh, killed people yeah. in MRIs yeah, and whatnot. There's, um there there is a a very the largest section in the magnetics wikipedia article is product recalls by US Consumer Product Safety Commission yeah, they, they, turns out little magnetic balls don't ingest them because if you go into an MRI, they will come shooting out of you and that's oh, going to be a bad time for everybody. Clean, cleanup crews don't like it. It's just not pretty. Um, 
But then I also watch a lot of 80s commercials, like, as a pastime because I'm deranged. And I, I really enjoy seeing the, the, the weird magnetics commercials from the 80s where they, like, try to make a dinosaur talk. Because unlike Lego and Kinect stuff, you can, you can be a little bit more animated with things that are held together with magnetism. Yeah. So, like, the little lines, you could make a T-Rex that could, like, turn its head because the magnets hold it together, not, like, a hard, rigid joint. Was it Stretch Armstrongs that, like, were filled with a toxic substance... And if you broke it open and ingested it, like that would be a bad thing. Was that? Was that? I am. I imagine the ones that I had as a kid in the '90s were non-toxic, but it would not surprise me if at some point I feel like this was like he was filled with something or horrible. Yes, I am. Sometimes 8, a little bit of the toxins certain. get in. I'm eight thousand percent certain that whatever was inside a Stretch Armstrong in the '70s was at least as dangerous as, uh, I don't know. Let, let's say it's at least as toxic and bad for you as, like, the green goo in an animated show from well, the night. Liquid and asbestos. This is why they came up with Vac-Man. Like, Vac-Man is a better toy than Stretch Armstrong. There, I said it. I didn't have either. Vac-Man? Vac, you, oh, am I am I old? I'm old. Vacman yes. was in the '90s reboot of Stretch Armstrong when they gave it a new cartoon and everything. Vacman was the big red guy with his brain exposed that competed with Stretch Armstrong because Stretch Armstrong was a square jawed blonde uh, hero that just could be stretched a lot. What you could do with Vacman was he was a rubber latex toy that you could stretch, but then he had a pump in his head and you could suck all the air out, so you could pose him and like. Pull and stretch him into whatever shape you wanted, and then he would stay that way. Unlike Stretch Armstrong, who would like immediately revert back as soon as you let go of his arms. Plus, he wasn't filled with terrible I... toxins because it was all rubber and and foam balls. So, I see. Actually, here it was corn cob material. Even better, safer. Yep. Boy, what a novel concept for a toy. Would this not seem demented to somebody from a more austere age? Like, from someone from the early 20th century? Victorians. What playthings do you give to your children to amuse them in their idle times between studies? Well, it's a radical dude bra with no shirt, and he gets really hella fucking long, bro. <laughs> what, long? Elongated, you mean? He's tall. You mean to say that he has a his great stature? Nah, man. I'm saying he gets long. Okay. The, the, why are you playing with this toy while completely baked on weed? Because it's Stretch Armstrong. You just get high from the fumes <laughs> when you accidentally nick the sheath. Oh my god! Don't actually. Oh, you're, oh my god! You just said that. <laughs> nick the sheath. No, don't say it again. Just stop. Edit it out. Cut. It's not possible. We're not not getting back into genital sheaths, are we? No, we're not. We're moving topics. When were we there? Anyways. Alex, what what else is there, Alex? Yeah, so, like, I've played an hour of Tacoma, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I have not gotten, like, very far into it. I know it's not a long game, but... I was going into it expecting, I'm like, okay, it's another Fulbright game. You click the things, and then you find the notes. 
and open a locker somewhere and then you find a thing. But this has a lot of in a depth to it. Just like the whole manipulating of the space and time. I knew nothing about this game going into it, only that it was a Fulbright game in space. So I'm, I'm enjoying yeah. the discoveries along the way. It was certainly hard a walking simulator. Pardon? Go it was certainly it. tarred as a walking simulator. No, no, that that's all I Oh, missed. and it's definitely not that. Well, I mean, I just hate the term anyways, but the I just... Uh, oh, me too. I think it's totally more than that. Uh, like, it's it's really more of a... Um, it's really more of like a puzzle, like adventure point-and-click puzzle. Because there's, there's quite a bit to kind of piece together. It's just a narrative. It's not like blocks or... Whatever else you Going do in, in a point-and-click adventure. Going in blind is probably the best way to tackle that game. I think you will yeah. enjoy it more than if you've seen it. Like, I, I had played an early alpha build of it, um, and then I played the, the real game, and I sort of knew what I was expecting going into it, so that, I guess, sort of played into how I reacted a little bit. I'm really glad that I... Like, and this is why I generally don't... Like, I don't don't really watch a lot of trailers and I don't watch a lot of streams of people playing single player games because I think that just completely spoils the experience in many cases especially if it's like your first experience of a game is through the um like the eyes of someone else or the like the commentary of someone else I just I think that's um for narratives and stuff it's really not ideal and that's maybe how some people can only experience games if they can't afford the time or the money and so you know you watch the stream but i like i am it's cases like these where it's like i'm so glad i'm going in blind and just discovering it for myself and yeah yeah that's why i don't stream a lot of single player games because it's like i just i don't want to i don't want to play this game with an audience and i don't think a lot of audience members want to watch it that's how I am a lot too. Like people sometimes ask me to like play, you know, like why don't you just stream your initial playthrough of like this single player game that you're interested in? And it's like I, I kind of want to experience it on my own first. And like I do a lot of like, like I spend a lot of time in my inventory fixing stuff, or or you know just like reading quest text and like looking around and figuring out what to do. And like that doesn't make for like a a particularly interesting stream i feel like and i don't want to feel the pressure of like having to not do that because i want to put on a good show or whatever uh so you know there, like i like to experience it first and then like play it on stream later if i feel like it yeah i completely right. agree with you I think one thing that perhaps some people don't entirely appreciate is that uh, when your job involves video games, uh, you need to strike a careful balance to avoid completely burning out on video games. And one way to make sure that happens is, if you're looking forward to something, try not to make it work. Right, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I have been occasionally tempted with the idea of like doing a stream of like a single-player game I really don't care for. Um, I, I know Rutz has been pushing this idea of Old West stuff lately, and there was a terrible-looking Old West shooter that just came out on Steam, and I was really tempted to pick it up and, and just stream myself playing the single-player campaign of it just to see what it was like and whether it was really good or really bad and 
either way, I would have streamed it. I, I keep seeing games on Steam that I'm tempted to do that with, and then reality sets in that I don't have time to play a you know ten hour game on stream if I've got all the other stuff I have to do. It really limits the, the conversation you can have with the game, and that's why yeah. something like a really cheesy, silly game, or like when we did Dr. Decker, right? Like, right. We, we stopped and we listened to the dialogue, but it's so cheesy, and you can get a lot out of that in a first run, but you can't really talk... If you're going to do a critical you know, playthrough, you, doing it blind is not really the best way of doing it. And actually, um, on the recent... Waypoint Radio, they talked about Kingdom Come Deliverance, that episode, um, and why they're not covering it, which is maybe something we can talk about um, or not. But I was, I was actually they, listening um, to that talk... podcast while setting this up. Oh, so you heard? Yeah. Oh, really? So then you got, I think it's the part where they talk about um, streaming and like streaming culture is changing how we're talking about games because everyone just has like the knee jerk reaction down to gameplay pretty much you know, everywhere on Twitch, any game, but also on YouTube as well. It's just like that kind of reactionary blind playthrough commentary stuff that people yeah, really like. Yeah. But at the same time, it prevents, especially streamers who play games mostly live, from really being able to engage with something because you don't get to pause and think about it. Or you don't get a chance to formulate thoughts because you kind of have to keep the show going. I, you know, I will say uh, I, I feel that playing it live and blind is the best way to approach a horror game that you're doing analytically. Like, that's kind of the thesis behind my uh, horror addict series, because I think that a lot of my commentary comes from how I emotionally react to something. Uh, and having that emotional reaction fresh allows me to formulate my thoughts on it more clearly than it necessarily would be if I was uh, doing it on a second playthrough, which is actually why I'm kind of peeved. I, I recorded an episode uh, of a horror attic that I intend to do as a longer-form Let's Play, and I think I had the brightness down too low because I'm looking at the episode as it uploaded to YouTube, and it is literally, there's a couple, like, ghosts of images passing through the screen for, like, 60% of the video, and there's no actual way to tell what's happening. Like, even fire is a bit dim. And I'm, I'm I'm very peeved. I might be able to fix it. I'm gonna that. see if I can fix it in post. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see about that. Yeah, I yeah. think horror horror the, the horror genre is a little bit more in line with Twitch like Twitch commentary and reactionary commentary and things I like mean, that. I think that's why horror games are some of the most popular um stream games if, of any single-player games. Yeah, and, and of course, Souls. you know, like, horror games kind of have this reputation as being, like, uh, stream bait ever since, since uh, you know, Amnesia, where, like, oh, we like to see otherwise collected people uh, freaking out over a video game, and that's apparently a very popular thing to do. Right, right. Although I, you know... I, I do appreciate qualities of stream bait quite a bit. Like, I, I appreciate qualities of, like, horror streams. Mm -hmm. Like, when people do have, you know... It, it's funny when people, like, react really over the top if it's, like, a creator you're already familiar with. And, you know, I... Yeah. I, I have... I am not a brave man. I promise you that I fake nothing, but there have been occasions, in even in the horror addicts, where I've had some 
pretty embarrassing reactions. Uh, just I, because I that's honestly how horror games get me. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, but the... I, I'm not trying At the to same time, like, I feel bad. like... Like, I want to put that out there. Oh, no, no, no. I... I, I... But I, I was actually... No, yeah, I, was actually I don't think it's bad either. Direction. Yeah. I was it's almost moving in the, the direction of that comment. It's the it's the platform that enables that kind of conversation, right? If if Twitch was a little different, it you know, maybe we would have a platform where you could have like spoiler warning level discussions with an audience, you know, and get popular enough that you yeah. can keep track of the chat somehow and that kind of stuff. But it's just you get to that point where it's like you can't have a discussion with your chat. You can only react and give them clips and moments and all that and and they're pushing towards that now with the uh they have clip champs now so the person who clips the most in your stream gets a little badge and it's like one of those new incentive ways for incentives for uh people to engage with your channel without having to give you money essentially so it's like that community participation where you're constantly keeping an eye out for one-liners or moments or like goofs and stuff so that's that's just the nature of the platform for sure. Yeah, it's interesting like the the little subtle things that Twitch is doing to sort of influence what streams look like. I will also say they update they tweeted today I think that they are taking more time to review the community guidelines because some areas are not clear. So that's very good. Because some areas were not clear. Yeah, certain areas in specific, uh, if we want to go into that. Um, it, I guess it's not weird because it's kind of to be expected at this point, but it's annoying that there's so much focus on specifically what female streamers are wearing. Oh, for sure. I, I don't mean to impugn anybody who enjoys Twitch streams on the regular. I'm sure there's a lot of great stuff out there, but I, I have like violently reacted like Alex's. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have had a violent reaction to much of the Twitch streaming that I've caught a glimpse of or that's been shared in like in compilations. It's like I I can't take it seriously whenever I see people saying, oh, you know, streamers are with low-cut tops are ruining the website because it's like... Every time I see a stream, it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> no matter like, what people are wearing? <laughs> no, yeah, the clothing is the least of it. Uh, oh, yeah, no, it, it's not It's nothing distracting. It's just, like, uh, a fish costume, and he's wearing, like, stunna shades, and there's people, like, spamming racial slurs through a robot voice, and there's, like, a gif of Snoop Dogg dancing, filling the entire screen... Uh, while he's like screaming at the top of his head in fear, playing player unknown battlegrounds. Yep, that's definitely the status quo for what's popular on Twitch. That's for sure. It's like, it's like I I I feel like when I see this content, like I I don't mean to judge the kinds of people who get into like street like like the big Twitch well, streamers where this kind of stuff happens, but it's like. I really can't find the appeal. I mean, you're you're really looking at when you're looking at the Twitch compilations, the the like most catchy zingers and awesome frags of the most popular people 
which are almost always some of the worst people. Like, I, oh, yes. I mean, you're, you're going to get like your doctor disrespects or whatever. You're not going to get like insightful, super cool, friendly uh, Twitch user number 437 because they have maybe, you know, 5,000 people following them and watching their streams versus 30,000 or 50,000 or I don't even know what a large... I, I have no context for what a large Twitch stream is at this point. I'm old. Hundreds um, of thousands. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, but, but like, so basically, I'm seeing the Logan Pauls of Twitch. That's what I was going to say. Is like, As a YouTuber, I would feel bad if people judged YouTube against the lowest dregs of YouTube. And I, I feel like, like there is good content on Twitch, but you're not going to be shown it in a highlight reel of people saying, hey, check out how awesome Twitch is, because that's not the content that generates the numbers. Just like the content that generates numbers on YouTube isn't good. And frankly, the content that generates numbers on like television isn't good. Like, the best... Showing television shows right now are not going to be the things that are like Legion or really good, if, you know, The Wire or whatever TV show you want to reference. It's going to be. It's like rea you know, It's like the reality TV show of Twitch. Right. It's like the Duck it's the Dynasty. common denominator. Duck the duck. Yeah, the the honey boo boos of the world. Pong okay, stars. so so I'm not just being. So next time I feel myself getting snobbish about streams, I should just remember I'm snobbish about everything. Well, I think it just comes down to finding those niche communities, just like with everything, where, you know, they, Twitch does have a community system where you can filter out streamers based on, like, how, the, how they tag their streams or what communities they're a part of. So if you want, say, like, um, Tanya DePass's channel from I Need Diverse Games has their own Twitch team. So if you want to follow creators that are um, usually people of color, marginalized streamers doing some neat activist work stuff, you can find those people. But they're not going to be on the top of the page if you're yeah. just going to browse games. It's it's just a matter of knowing like how those communities um, gather. And hey, I mean, we're not going to be on the, the top trending list of YouTube anytime soon, so... Hey, hey, don't have... Well, not with that attitude, come on. We're gonna make it big on YouTube streaming after this. Is there like is that even possible anymore? <laughs> oh yeah, mostly if when you get banned on Twitch, you start streaming on YouTube because they allow for more <laughs> shit to happen. Yeah. Oh that, boy, that's a great pedigree right there. YouTube is the place where people banned from Twitch go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. That's like how the Zoe Berger's got going. She's that twerking. She twerks after every kill cam, and then she got banned on Twitch. She kept doing it on YouTube. She still does it on YouTube. After every kill, like in what game? Call of Duty. That's. How do you? I, I mean, that's like every thirty that? seconds, though. How do you? Yeah. How do you do that? She like right. counts them up and then does the twerking at the end. Oh, okay. Well, I was about so to say, like, that, that, that straight skill, but okay, no, that that's fair. Um, yeah, uh, oh, I uh, just wanted to say, like, I really like Tacoma, so, um, looking forward to seeing what your thoughts are. Oh, about. yeah, the game we talked about. Back on top yeah. of it. I mean, I, I'll finish it, and hopefully I can talk about it next week, and, like, final thoughts. Cool. Um, Chris, do you have any fun, interesting, or deranged topics you'd like to speak about today? Um, 
it really depends on what you guys think we can get a conversation going about. Um, I've uh, I played a game of Civilization Rise and Fall. That was cool. Um, I watched two scary movies. I, I watched the Creeps, Creep franchise, I guess, at this point. There's two movies, so that was cool. Um, I played Descenders. I, I'm not super cool on that, but that's a game I've been playing. Does any of this sound remotely... And anyone want to talk about any of these? What does what the chat uh, no, say? What does the I, chat I, want to hear? Let, let's yes, make this interactive. What will we talk about? In before hemipenes. Now that you said it. If the chat expresses no strong inclinations in one direction or another. Okay, Rise and Fall. Rise and Fall? Um... I played a game of Rise and Fall. I picked up the expansion recently. Um, it is the expansion to Civ Six that does a lot to change the game, but also not a lot to change the game. I, I really liked... I can't remember, I can't for the life of me remember who did the review, but the Waypoint review is so far probably my favorite look at the, the game overall. Basically what, what Rise and Fall does is sets up a lot of really interesting things that makes your story of running your kingdom more engaging there's a sort of a more emergent narrative aspect to it um they did a lot to really make sort of the gameplay feel more dynamic but it all heads in the same direction so it doesn't really change the overall feel of the game you still have to like if dedicate yourself to an ending by about turn 300 and then spend the remaining 200 turns securing that that win state um so the overall structure of the game remains very much the same but the journey along the way feels very different, if that makes any sense. See, that sounds neat to me. Um, I, I kind of bounced off of Civ Six. Um, like, I haven't played it nearly as much as I played Civ Five by the like oh. year and a half mark. Um, I do intend to pick up the, me, the me expansion, neither. but um, when when I played it um, and and beat it this game, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's my second Civ Six game I've beaten now, and and no. Turns out that is my first Civ Six game I've beaten. <laughs> I I remember, and I, it came flooding back to me. I lost Civ Six because of the the first game I played of Civ Six because I was you know maybe twenty turns away from a science victory, but then reached turn five hundred and I lost on score. So like on a random year on like twenty fifty, suddenly Sean Bean comes over the thing and says our civilization is in ruins. And I uploaded that YouTube <laughs> video about it because I was right. so upset yeah, I about that. like going from like. Totally stable civilization that is like winning in three of the four or three of the five categories for for victory state, and then like turn five hundred hits, and it's like our civilization lies in ruins. Perhaps someone else will pick up the spark we left behind. And I'm like, really? That's what happens if you don't win by score. But anyway, I can I just say I actually hate score in like turn based strategy yeah. games. I've I, just in any turn-based like strategy like record game, I, I I think I've gone over this before. I I don't know of anyone who seriously plays Civ and doesn't just automatically turn off the score victory because like that sucks. Just to. getting to twenty fifty and like oh okay, person who was in the lead score wise, which is like not necessarily reflective of like who's actually winning. Uh, that they they win. It counts military victories a lot more than anything else in those score rankings. If you have taken out some of the other civs, that counts for a disproportionate level. Oh, really? Because I was raking in the money. Well, at least according to what I've seen. Because at the end of the game I beat in Rise and Fall, I was dominating culture. 
uh, but not enough to get the victory. I was dominating the economy. I had like 30,000 gold. That, that's why I tweeted those tweets of people stealing, you know, 800 gold apiece every turn. Right. Because that was like, you know, a third yeah. of, or a fifth of my, my revenue. And that wasn't even at the peak. So I, I had tons of money, tons of culture, and was going for science and was winning science. Um, but I didn't have maximum... Um, uh, I wasn't winning by score because Wilhelmina of the... What is it? The Netherlands. Dutch? Netherlands? Um, Wilhelmina of the Netherlands had taken out um, uh, Chandragupta of India and had taken over. And yeah, that that was enough to put her in the lead, even though I was dominating in every other way. Um, granted, she also had more cities, so it, maybe it's by population. Yeah, maybe it's I, not so much I think it's the victory like, itself. At least back when I was playing Civ Four, the score like heavily weighted like tech and uh, like population. Um, and those were like. And see, this is such a crock of malarkey. It's like, I, 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 you, you all know my feelings on achieving victory in video games, which is basically, hey, whatever you got to do, whatever produces results, you know that that's that's the way to play it. I, I feel like if I run into a situation where I have conquered the entire world, like there should be no scenario in which the game is saying, yeah. C, C minus. It's like, it, just because I didn't score well in the metrics that you're tracking doesn't mean that my strategy did not produce complete supremacy right. over all of my opponents. So, it, it, it's, it, it's, like if, it's like if you were engaging in global thermonuclear war, but also skee-ball at the same time. And after you are victorious and save your entire population, somebody points out, you know, you didn't actually get any 500 pointers. <laughs> um, so going back, I guess, to, to Rise and Fall... Oh, did you have a question, Josh? Oh, well, I was going to talk about, like, how I felt about Civ Six. Um, but if you want to... Oh, go ahead. ...pontificate more about the expansion specifically. Um, yeah, like, I... I, I I really like a lot of what Civ Six does uh, a lot more than I liked what Civ Five does. It seems to have fixed a lot of the problems that Civ Five had, aside from the AI being just like unreasonably bad at everything. Um, uh, also, the last time I, I really started playing it again, there was there were some massive bugs with diplomacy where people would suggest deals to you that they would then not accept. Um, <laughs> And I had Gandhi uh, get mad at me about um, nuclear proliferation in, like, the early Iron Age. Um, and that just stayed as a, a malice for diplomacy for the rest of the game. It's like, dude, I'm, I, it, I've got horsemen. Where, where are you seeing these nukes? Um, I, I think the, the thing that, that really put me off of Civ Six initially was that, like, it's actually really hard to like determine how to set up an optimal city with the districts and that's actually really important in that game is is like laying well, out your districts so that the adjacency bonuses work out well for each one and like figuring out which district you want to put in which city it, it feels almost like they've pushed that to a point now where it is not about optimization but about specialization um right because they really they want you to start picking what your cities are all about and it is no longer you know each city has to be an uh industrial powerhouse and an economic powerhouse and a cultural powerhouse 
if you're lucky, a city can be all of those things, but most cities end up having to specialize either because they were built late in the game or because they simply don't have the resources around them to facilitate that. And you've got um, district limits. I think that was always the case with, with So 6, but it was also like, how do I pick which city to do which? And like the, like, I guess because the adjacency bonuses are not out there in in front of your, you know, like, like easily readable, um, you kind of have to like go into the Civilopedia and look up, like, okay, what does this district oh, do? They, um, they fixed that. Oh, did they? Yeah, now when you're placing a, a like, a, a university, and there, there are bonuses for placing, a, at least I was playing Korea, so I get a Seowon, and the Seowons get bonuses next to right. specific things. Um, each tile you own for that city lists the science bonus that you would receive uh, where on each tile. So okay. it would be like plus one, plus one, plus five. And it became very clear where the optimal place to put this thing is. Right. But then you could make that choice of like, well, that's the optim optimal place to put it. But that would mean that that's my last, I don't know, hills or whatever. And then I can't build a mine there or whatever else I would need to build on hills. Right. So that's sort of an interesting trade-off. Yeah. Uh... But it, it the UI is a little better. It's still not perfect, but it's improved. I feel like that might have been in the game initially, um, but... But yeah, but like, like, there's also like, like the, the, the district's adjacency bonuses are not like something that immediately stands out in a lot of cases. Like, oh, this, that makes sense that this would help this district. Um, like some districts are good when they're adjacent to forests. I think like holy sites get a bonus from being adjacent to forests. And it's like, okay, I, I guess. Um, but but getting back, I guess, to my original comments about how the game changes towards um, sort of giving your, your a, sort of a dynamic journey to get where you're going. Right. Um, the, the biggest obvious change is the light and dark ages, which are pretty interesting and provide sort of a minute to minute pressure to keep developing wonders and scientific advancements and cultural artifacts and great people and anything else that gives you points towards um, not getting a dark age. Um, basically it puts pressure on you to move forward and not just get involved in war, um, or especially losing a war. Um, so basically as your sieve achieves things, a little meter in the lower left fill or the lower right fills up around the little globe that lets you click for the next turn. And the first time it fills up, you have pre prevented a dark age. And the second time it fills up, you are, uh, gained a, um, a, a golden age. And basically it lets you just sort of pick... Uh, additional perks if you get a golden age a normal age is nothing it's just nothing bad happens nothing good happens a golden age you get to pick some perks uh, when the new age moves over which is i guess the other change now everybody moves over between ages um together so it's no longer you achieve tech x you have entered the gold the you know renaissance era it, it is now the entire world moves to the renaissance era together collectively hmm, interesting um and at the end of each turn, or not each turn, but each era, um, your score is reviewed in that little meter, how much you filled it up, determines whether you get a Dark Age, Normal Age, or, or Golden Age. Golden Age, or Dark Ages are interesting because you lose loyalty faster. So if someone's moving in culturally and trying to take over, a Dark Age means that you're going to be losing your cities or taking over someone else's cities if they're the one in Dark Age much faster. Um but the other cool thing about a Dark Age is that be to make it so that it's not just a chain of like, I got a Dark Age, so I started losing, so I lost more, so I got another Dark Age, now I'm just in a rut of infinite losing. The interesting thing about Dark Ages is, as part of your policies, 
uh, policy and government setup, you get access to specific Dark Age-only policies that only show up once you're in a Dark Age that allow you to do things that have a very strong positive bonus and maybe a minor negative bonus. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, you're in a Dark Age now, but you can take steps to fix it. Right. And there, there are policies that maybe are not... Um what you would consider necessarily good, but, but do have things, um, they, they, basically all the dark age stuff has positive and negative stuff. And like, I'm looking at a list of some of them now, like robber barons is one, um, that you can only get in a dark age and it's plus 50% gold in cities with a stock exchange plus 25% production in cities with a factory, but minus two amenities in all cities. So you're taking a sort of happiness hit, but you're suddenly making tons of money and making tons of productivity. So you're able to get yourself out of a dark age. And if you get yourself out of a dark age and into a golden age in the very next era, that's called a heroic age and you get even more perks. So there's actually a benefit to falling into a dark age if you can then rise up and become get a get a golden age out of it so the um the strategy is more to like figure out like okay time dark ages to when they'll be the least of a big deal and and optimize when you get golden ages if you can the problem is that's very very hard because yeah. you don't control when you transition to a new age and you don't want to slow down production too much because then you're just falling in falling behind intentionally and that's not good either The, what else, what else was there? Oh, the governors. The governors are the other big new change. Um, I'm kind of mixed on the governors. I, I'm, they're kind of my least favorite part of the expansion, but they're not like bad. They're just whatever. Um, basically the new currency you earn is one of the new currencies you earn are, um, as, as you research civic improvements are, uh, governor appointments or promotions. And what you can do with governors are instill them in a place. And if you have a governor there, it um, reduces loyalty loss or increases loyalty gain really is what it does. Um, and then you could promote the governor. But you only have, I think, six. It's either six or eight governors total. And each of these governors um, has a different specialty. So there's the financial governor. There is the growth governor. There is the uh, industrial governor. There is the cultural governor there's the diplomatic governor there's the scientific governor and there's a couple others mm -hmm. and each of them as you promote them have different benefits and you can move them from city to city so that you, it's not like you're locking them in forever but it does further this idea that you are specializing your cities so when you send a governor to somewhere you're sort of saying the governor in charge of this place knows science i'm getting a bunch of science perks from the city i might as well build a university here because that's you know this is now going to be my science city right. um yeah. it's a way to it's also a way to reduce, to some extent, um, hyper-expansionist sieves, because you do have a finite number of um, uh, finite number of governors, and if you just go super aggressive uh, empire building, culture will eventually eat you alive. Uh, the loyalty will eat you alive. You can't just go build wherever, because we finally now have a mechanic again that introduces um, the idea that if you build right next to somebody, your borders could be eaten away. That was a cultural thing in Civ Four. Yeah, and they kind of got rid of culture. They nuked that entirely for Civ Five, and I was always kind of upset about that because it was really cool in Civ Four that like you you had a non warfare means of taking over other cities. Now it's back, but it's different. Um, it's back in the sense that you now have that non warfare means of taking over other cities, but now instead of um, 
now instead of it being a simple tug of war of like um how much culture is, is there it's less about culture and more about loyalty which factors in from a number of different places and culture is a factor but not the only factor and also when a country secedes from or when a city secedes from its current government it does not necessarily immediately side with the local closest civ that has um, higher culture, it secedes from its government and becomes a standalone state of free people. Oh, is it and like, I actually it watched this happen. City state? It doesn't turn into a city state proper because city states oh, okay. in Civ Six have all those special perks where right. you send emissaries and get bonuses. It turns into its own Civ, and that oh, Civ is called neat. Free People. And and so it's basically it's not like a real new Civ. It you can't be bargained with. You can't have. There's no um, there's no Civ leader. Uh, you can't have communications with them. There's no diplomatic relations with them. But as long as they are free people, you can move in and take over, and there's no real penalty. You just have to force your way in to take over and restore order. Um, this is especially true if you already have loyalty pushing in a little bit. Your your troops presence may be enough to, to basically take over. Um, and it doesn't really count as sort of a military takeover because it's a free state that is sort of existing on its own versus having to go to war to claim territory. It's a way that you could use your army to take territory that is not your own, but is also not, that is not your own, but also you're not going to war to claim it. You're not like right. besieging a city to kill it. You are now just sort of moving in and establishing order where there was none before. And I have seen like, it's interesting because if one, I, I watched in my game as one city fell to free statedom, and it was me and uh, Chandra Gupta and I think Genghis Khan all had cities right next to this one city that became a free state. And I watched as the free statehood that took over this one city because it was so close to three civilizations. By taking that city out, it actually reduced the loyalty gain of another city, and you actually ended up with a small mini-civ of two cities called Free People living right next to each other. And it was basically an, a perpetual war as I marched towards a science victory, because it was just like Chandragupta's troops, who eventually became Wilhelmina's troops as she took over that civ, versus uh, Genghis Khan's troops, versus the Free People, and nobody ever took over the Free People's <laughs> movement there. And it was amazing, and I'm just like... Screw this, y'all. I'm going to Mars. And then I went to Mars and won the game. But that that is... It, it's pretty great. Um, the final thing I think I'll bring up, because I've been going on too long, is um, I do like the changes to um, diplomacy in general. They feel way more like sensible characters. It no longer feels arbitrary. All those bugs you're talking about, I didn't run into them, and I had run into them before in my previous games. Um, I think they fixed most of those bugs. And also, allies felt like allies. I like the new system of um, friendship becomes allyship becomes specialized allyship. And again, it's it's all this idea of like you're not changing the the structure of civilization. You're still marching towards science victory or military victory or whatever. The overall game is the same. But the fact that I can make friends with um, oh god, who was it? I was friends with. Oh, my brain, my brain is drawing a complete blank and we're live and it's driving me nuts. Um, oh, uh, Poundmaker. I was friends with Poundmaker and we managed to be friends the entire game. Um, and I even got to be friends with, uh, uh, what's what's the lady in France? Not Elizabeth, but... Um, Marie Antoinette? No, the other one, the new one. Um, I cannot for the life of me. She's got a champagne bottle that her glass. That's all I remember about her. That's not new. And That's... she's real into espionage. She was there the whole time, I think. Uh, um... 
I only played one Civ game and I lost because of score, so I'm I can't remember about her name that. either. I do know um, that she's actually Italian. Um, like in real life? Oh, uh, is it Medici? Can yeah. Medici? It's... Boy, I haven't even played the goddamn game. <laughs> I'm shocked that, that Rutzgarn got Josh on a history question. I don't know that um, much about French history pre-revolution. And, and, and Alex. Yeah, we um, said it at the same time. But, yeah, so I was friends with Catherine and with Poundmaker, and we were friends, and we kept reaffirming our friendship, and even though there was a civil war immediately to my east with the free government, or free peoples of whatever, um, despite an ongoing civil war for hundreds of years, we stayed friends, and we did, we involved, we got invested in economic and research uh, commitments, and it was sort of uh, the three of us against Wilhelmina, and I went to space, and that was my game, and yay! And <laughs> it, it never felt like... You know, that sounds silly, but it, I have played games in, of Civ where I'm allies with someone and they get a hair up their butt about something and they go to war with me three turns later and this never happened. It, it felt like they have made uh, diplomacy feel like it matters, where, yes, I was being actively spied on by both France and um, uh, the Kree and I kind of resented them for that, but aside from espionage, we were very close friends. It's kind of interesting, and it's all about sort of sculpting this story space, and I guess that's rounding this all the way back up because I've been talking too long, uh, why I really like the Waypoint uh, article on it. The changes that they have made for Rise and Fall are changes that you would expect to see in something like a Paradox game. Um, they are changes that try to sculpt it towards storytelling and, um, and telling your own story about your own civilization in your own way and having memorable events happen. We entered a dark age but rose up through the, through the years and entered a heroic age where we made friends with France and we committed again our, our affirmation of science and then so-and-so seceded from this other country and went to war and that's my whole story and that's really cool and memorable but that's also something that Paradox games are already designed from the ground up to do. Yeah. Whereas Civilization is really not designed for that. Civilization is designed to be a competitive, zero-sum game where, screw your neighbors, you're going to win the game. And and so there's a tension there that never gets resolved where this expansion really tries to make it a game about having a fun, expressive, role-play almost element to building your Civ and having memorable events happen, but it doesn't change the core of the game, which is you are in competition with all other Civs to be the best Civ ever. And I don't know, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting expansion that improves upon the game tremendously but does not fix its fundamental flaws. I'll put it that way. Sorry for talking too long. It sounds neat. I intend to check it out, you know, when it's next month and I don't have a $1,100 bill on my credit card uh, for a water heater that I didn't want to have blow up. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So, um... The last thing I think we're going to do on this uh, podcast is we haven't really done questions from the audience much lately uh, over the past, like, three months. Um, but the cool thing is we've got an audience that's live right now, so why don't we do some Q&A stuff? Um, you guys ask us questions, and then we try to answer in ways that are at least as sensibly informative and funny. Remember to read good. the question when they ask it. So that people at home in the future can listen and participate. Flail says, hi, Josh. I don't know what questions to ask you since I just ask you things in real life. Well, it's good to be accessible as a personality, uh, perhaps a trifle overly accessible uh, <laughs> in this very specific instance. 
Way to go, Josh. You're just eliminating our content. We can always cut this out, of course, the, the real recording. Yes, right, of course. We can just cut this out and imagine that this entire conversation didn't take place. I mean, really, if you give a presentation and there are no questions, then that's how you know things gone well. Oh, here we have one from Zenith. Uh, I have a question for you, Zenith. Uh, how do you say your name? Zenith is the best I can... Okay. It's funny because well. Zenith has that explanation, like, of how to spell their name in that clip of me being awesome at GeoGuessr. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I could just knock this one out real quick. Uh, any chance of doing a more long-form campaign rather than one-shots for the tabletop role-playing game thing? Yes, Save or Die is going to do a few more uh, terrible games, and then we are going to do a toss-up uh, to see which one we should revisit. Uh, so that's the plan. I wasn't aware we actually had a plan, so that's cool. That's news to me. The DM always has a plan, Joshua. Yeah, that's actually really disturbing when I think about it. Um, Josh, suggestions for the best... I'm assuming that's supposed to be intro to Paradox Games. Uh, Europa Universalis 4 is probably the most board game-esque of the Paradox games. So, like, like with Crusader Kings, you've got a bunch of, like, weird stuff where, like, oh, actually, you're playing this character who's part of this dynasty, and that's really what you're following, as opposed to, like, I Am France or whatever. Um, with Europa Universalis 4, you are playing a country, and your goal is to uh, presumably paint the map. I mean, that's basically the the case with, with most Paradox games is to do warfare and get bigger. Um, but EU4 has a lot of, like, very, like, normal for the genre kind of things. I mean, there's a tech tree, and there are these, like, abstract points that you generate um, to, to spend and do stuff. And it's very much... I mean, it, it is a board game. Europa Universalis was a board game that... I think Paradox just bought the rights to in its entirety because I don't think anyone cares about the board game version of Europa Universalis for uh, or, or Europa Universalis. A lot of angry, really or a lot of very hardcore video or board game people just got very angry at you. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's from the like eighties and like it was this like Risk esque game initially. Um, so, but but if you really like, if you want to like get an introduction into um, paradox games, I'd say EU four is probably the easiest to jump into. There are some like easy countries to play with easy starts, um, particularly like France or the Ottomans, uh, that kind of like ease you into the game mechanics. Um, so yeah, I, I would go with that. I, I like Crusader Kings two more, but it's obtuse in a lot of very problematic ways. Okay, I'm gonna take on a couple quick questions here. Uh, how much do you have a personal investment in original comfort versus just remaking them for the fans? I think probably, if I, I speak for all of us when I say he tickles us, but we don't feel changed to him... Yeah, like, Reginald Cuthbert is a character that I play occasionally, but, like, it's not... Like, the stuff that I do as Reginald Cuthbert does not in any way reflect the way that I normally play or interact with video games. He's a good default yeah. to return to. 
So can we officially uh, make Kentucky LaCroix like a, a, an ancestor of, of Reginald <laughs> Cuthbert? Oh yeah, it's canon. Or maybe we can't make it all like we do, we should resist the connected universe. That's as true. As nah. what Star Wars doesn't do. Nah. Let's indulge. Let's just Let's wait uh, this one of the continuity. People. Yes, exactly. All human Don't history. Don't spoil the future playthroughs of Crusader Kings when, you know, <laughs> obviously Cuthbert shows up. We, we import King. our Crusader Kings. We import our Crusader Kings save into Europa Universalis 4. Uh, and, and then directly the, uh, into the, Fallout. The, the LaCroix dynasty America. as the LaCroix becomes the LaCroix. As the LaCroix becomes the LaCroix, and the LaCroix becomes the LaCroix Bears, and the LaCroix Bears become the Cuff Bears. I can answer two questions at once. Sure. Um, Go ahead. Paul Go M asks, have you guys played Kingdom Come yet? And you dipsies haven't heard crew talk about Subnautica at all. My personal answer to both those questions is I just never plan on playing or buying them. Yeah. Because um, both of the devs of both those games are a little um, not great. And in general, like, I don't support that kind of stuff with my money. I have picked up games in the past through Humble Bundle where I can choose to donate all the proceeds of that um, game to charity instead of the devs. So on occasion, if I need to do that, I will. Um, but yeah, I don't know if we... I, I want to resist getting into that, but do a little bit of research on both of those games and you'll probably see some stuff pop up that may change your opinion about your purchase of the game. I, I picked up Subnautica before any of that stuff came to light and... I don't like Subnautica very much. <laughs> That's kind of that where stuff. I am, actually. Like, uh, it's it's like, neat, but it it didn't grab me. Uh, and I, I got it, like, years ago, so... Yeah, I picked it up when I picked up my Vive, because it was one of the early, like, you could play this in VR! And I was like, okay, cool, I'm gonna play it in VR! And I did, and uh, I, I, I don't... I like the, the surface of the water is nice. I hate the, the, the survival mechanics I really can't stand. Um, yeah, like I, I kind of feel like it needs to be either a better builder game or a better survival game, but it's a really bad both game. Um, uh, SL128 uh, mentions uh, that the Subnautica sound designer, who, if we want to get into that, uh, made some really racist uh, statements on Twitter, uh, was fired, um, and that is true, and that is is a good thing in my mind. Uh, but like that was not all of the shitty stuff that was going on around the dev team at the same time. Like, um, uh, one of the other devs, like the, the lead dev or the, the creative director or whatever, like put up a poll on Twitter that was like, do we a add the option to be play as a female character in Subnautica or B improve the core gameplay. And like, what a false fucking dichotomy you asshat. Yeah. It's very obnoxious to set it up, like, to, to sort of explicitly reinforce this idea that uh, appealing to broader demographics or, you know, in some way incorporating or, you know, listening to or even acknowledging, like, criticism that comes from people who want, like, oh, a female player character uh, is directly, like, against the principle of making a game that everybody will like. And then I... <laughs> 
it's like there's so much like there's so much horseshit about sort of how this conversation happens and like when people choose to acknowledge the idea the dev teams uh, have multiple focuses at a time and it's just it's 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 a frustrating rabbit hole to get down and that yeah. it's stuff like that makes the conversation that much more obnoxious and toxic and painful to have anyway um, I, I will say that for that too I didn't see that um, but, but that that is nice there's too um, many games to play and I have not yeah, enough money it, to buy them all you know so, like, if you they know, really want to me it it's like that's be... one less thing Right. If they really want to walk it back and be like, like very apologetic and they seem sincere, like that's great. But also like, you know, their pre previous actions have not made me particularly interested in playing the game. And there's a bunch of other stuff for me to play. So I'm in a similar boat. It's like, I've seen like, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I go searching for drama or anything. It's just, but like a lot of what goes into when I buy a game is, does it look interesting? Does it like seem like the developers have similar priorities to what I have? Um, it's like, and does it just feel like something that I like want to invest myself in the conversation in? And when it comes to like Kingdom Come Deliverance, the first thing I ever saw about Kingdom Come Deliverance was I was on Steam, and it was like recommended by one of the top-rated like Steam curators, and the byline for Kingdom Come Deliverance was like an awesome medieval RPG, and it triggers the SJWs. And it's like, all right, I, like, I, this may not even be the developer's fault for all I know at this point. Like, this may just be, like, a thing that somebody else turned into it. But, like, I don't want to start talking about this game now. Like, if this is, like, the, the tone of the conversation that's already happening about this game, I'm, I'm pretty much already out. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I looked into it, it's like, okay, so this is, like, okay, so... I also wasn't, like, super impressed by, like, the, oh, well, okay, so th this is a game that's based around historical accuracy, because I feel like, from what I've seen in the materials, the actual commitment to historical accuracy seems pretty inconsistent. <laughs> well, and the fact that it's being brought up in, like, a, as like a part of a specific conversation, I find kind of annoying. There are apparently just straight-up health potions in the game, so... Yeah, very historically accurate. I yeah, I saw... Those in Bohemia in the 15th century... Yeah, and there's like a, a savior schnapps, which yep. you can use schnapps, which you could use That's to how you save, save the, the game. game. You I saw drunk. that with, in review. So, and I'm like, so it's just record, way of the samurai. <laughs> I, the, the the excuse that that's historically accurate is stupid, but I get what they're going for from a design perspective there, because the only other way to save the game is to sleep, and so they made this like overly complicated potion to brew that is like not easy to come by yeah. in order to give you the option to save in the wild should you need it. Um, because there's no other way to, like, apparently combat's really hard, and it's it's an answer to the, like, well, I don't want to have to wake up in the inn and then go start the quest and then get to the point where there's combat and then die. I want to be able to save right before the combat. So they gave you this, like, workaround that technically works. I get from a design perspective why that's there, but it does completely undercut the rest of their messaging that it's a realistic game. So, I don't know. And right, at the end realism, of the day, it's like, just an excuse to just per, like perpetuate their uh, their messed up beliefs. That's oh, all it is. Yeah. Is they're just uh, making excuses, and anything beyond that is just like a deflection. Yeah, of what the like, real question you know, is. It, it's such a low budget game. If they hadn't brought it up, it probably wouldn't have even really come up. Like versus something like Witcher Three, which is 
in comparison, a relatively large and expensive and expansive game. Um, I, I mean, it, Kingdom Come Deliverance isn't really low budget. They made you know gangbusters on well, Kickstarter, and I think they had a publisher y- agreement. But it is a small team, right? Compared to like The Witcher Three, I think yeah. compared to something that really clear, like even though it was made in 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 Eastern Europe, Witcher Three is still a very expensive game. It is there is clearly money poured into that. Where Kingdom Come is clearly not operating at that budget. That that's not to say it's cheap. It's not like a r- rinky dink little indie game, but it is not working with Witcher Three money. Yeah, um, and and I want right. to like like kind of clarify that like it's not the the issue is not specifically that there are no people of color or black people specifically in this game, you know, were there black people in Europe in the medieval period? Yes. Were they common? Not really. Um, you know, if your, your explanation is like, okay, this is a very specific point of the, like there is, this a very small setting, like small scale setting focusing on like peasants or whatever, like, you know, okay, whatever. I get that. It's that there was this very like visceral specific rejection of like, no, there are no black people in this game. Like fuck off. Like that is the problem there. And pretty much like afterwards, the dev basically toted the fact that they were making people angry and kind of was right. poking was... the fire and just wearing weird t-shirts with things on them and like it was like, like I, I don't remember what the exact proud of it you know the exact wording of the statement was but it was like you know we're we're not giving in to the SJW agenda kind of like phrasing of it that was the, the like Illuminati feminist yeah. Illuminati <laughs> why, like, why do you have this? Just... Go ahead, Redscorn. I was going to make a joke. Uh, please finish the joke. Uh, no, it's it's inappropriate. You just go. I'm not going to make the joke. Oh, man. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh, boy. We've gone on a rabbit hole here. Uh, yeah, I guess just the bottom line is that, you know, it, again, if a small team with an idiosyncratic vision is making a game that just does happens not to include uh, any people of color in a historical game set in Bohemia... Uh, like, I guess that doesn't actually make me mad. Uh, what did make me, like, what did, like, kind of annoy me was the way that they handled the conversation and the way they sort of immediately made this into a bitter pitched battle in a way that I feel like even, like, the historical, like, sources that I follow that were critical of the game weren't. Oh, and then, of course, obviously, people were horrible to the people who were on the start of the conversation that, well, no, actually, it would be, it would not be historically inaccurate to include, like, people of color. Like, the, 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 um, like, POC uh, History, like, or, like, uh, the, the, that channel that does, like, um, that, that follows, like, sort of, uh, that, that goes through medieval art and sort of demonstrates how there's always been, like, the presence of non-white people in medieval European art, uh, wrote, like, a reasonably neutral article about it apparently like still get horrible messages about it like all this time later it, it kind it's of... just like this this is exactly the kind of conversation like critical conversation that i don't like to see uh, the like it, it intersects with this also really sort of big issue with like medievalist academia where um the the field of medieval studies has sort of been this historic uh 
refuge for people who want to view European history as extremely white and male. Um, where, perpetuate you know, how it's, it's perpetuated. Yeah, and, and perpetuate that. And that's been like a really big issue in this field in academia um, and, and has, you know, received a lot of pushback more recently. But it's been one of those like, you know... Um, the, the kind of place in academia where you can find the people who are like, yeah, the Crusades were great, Deus Volt and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, those kind of, like, very unfortunate takes. Um, so Also unfortunate that usually medieval studies is the first to get cut from a university. Like, those are the on the chopping block first. So they're, yeah. like, you know, perceived so, as, like, a threatened discipline. So, like, from my perspective as someone who, like is into history uh, like no I, do, I don't have a history degree but you know i read about you know history and historiography and like i'm aware of that like seeing that intersect with the video game is like you know these are very obvious um dog whistles for me where i can like you know like reading between the lines like yeah this seems like the kind of medievalist that you know is is of this sort um so that that was like what stood out to me about it was like less like oh this is a video game argument like oh okay this is also like you know this person is talking about how they're into history and history and European history was all about white people and it's like okay I I I can guess where your history uh, stance is. Yeah, it's Please always an all issue outside of spoiler games. warning show at gmail dot com. <laughs> At um, Camster. Yeah. <laughs> I'll also let everyone know no one added me inappropriately about Kingdom Hearts. Everyone was very nice, and oh, I that's appreciate good. it. D did anyone <laughs> add you inappropriately about Kingdom Hearts, Chris? Uh, Gwen got <laughs> That's mad. the real question. That isn't that. <laughs> All I right. Uh, well, we... Do we, want we should really, like, squeeze in a few more questions Yeah, that's here. what I was going to say. We don't want to necessarily end on that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And also, can I also say that, like, I appreciate that not everybody, like, follows this clusterfuck of a cultural conversation. Yeah. And that some people just, like, went on Steam and they saw, oh, Kingdom Come, or, oh, Subnautica. And maybe they heard somebody was mad. Uh, and then they played the game and they liked it. That's fine. You don't have to, like, be on Twitter 24-7 and, like, constantly researching the things the developers say. Like, it's, oh, it's yeah, for sure. you know... That's this is us. This is a this is a, like an us problem. As like we're we're sort of like in our position of people who play, or you know, play games and talk about games and are part of this conversation about games and creating things about games. That makes it so that like you know what, I'm not gonna drop sixty bucks on yeah. this thing. That as soon as I start talking about it, I've immediately stepped into a Mexican standoff. Yeah. You know, if that was what the ABC television show was about, though, I'd probably watch it. <laughs> Um, let's see. Flail Morpho asks, with the new format, can we finally get Dragon Age, the older Fallout games, the older Elder Scrolls games, and or the old 451 games uh, with no Cyber Satan from Deus Ex this time? Uh, I, have we talked specifically about Dragon Age? That's something that, like, I think would be interesting to do now that we, we are just straight up like, yeah, let's just, like, skip all this shit. Let's just, like, cut the entire Deep Roads, except for, like, maybe a montage of pain. Um, I mean, 
if you want to, I I don't I could never get it. I, I, Mumbles would be mad at me, but I could never get into Dragon Age. I like mean, Mumbles the first wasn't two Dragon Age are so they're so grim dark and they're so brown gray and and desaturated. And the only one I even kind of had an interest in was Inquisition, which looks really nice, but plays like a single player MMO, and I can't. Yeah. I can't. I just can't. It it plays so bad. From what I heard, I, I don't know if you did, but from what I heard, the first area, uh, getting past that is important. It's like, Mumbles actually, she really loved that game, and I was telling her, like, yeah, I don't know, I'm having some some difficulties, like, uh, I'm in the first area, and I'm kind of like, she's like, oh, no, 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 don't, like, be in the first area. As soon as possible, stop being in the first area. So, and that was kind of, yeah. The the thing with that, if in we can get an idea about what to focus on, yeah, then maybe that'd be helpful. I'm also not a huge Dragon Age fan myself. Um, just, I, yeah, just I don't have a lot of thoughts about it. I know it's like popular in fandom, and but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the thing with Inquisition is is less like the rest of the game isn't like this first zone and more like you got to put yourself in the mindset that you're not going to 100% complete all the quests in a zone because every zone is huge like this. Oh my God. So just leave. Uh, yeah. So, um, I, I guess that's the answer to the dragon age question specifically is like, um, it doesn't seem like, as a whole, uh, we're all that interested in going to that game. Um, I think there are other games that we are much more interested in doing. Um, you know, like what I call an abridged playthrough where we focus on the important stuff and skip it. I, we've talked a bit about um, Horizon Zero Dawn. I think that's on our list um, of like possible games to do at some point. Uh, and, you know, obviously we'd like to, like, maybe take a look at, like, some of the, the really good quests in The Witcher 3. Um, let's go on to another question here. Uh, Zenith asks, what's the most bizarre slash hilarious bug you've run into in a game, Battlespire not included? Um, actually, most of the the weirdest bugs I've run into have been, like, stuff that actually happened on spoiler warnings. So, for me, you've probably seen the most bizarre bugs. <laughs> the highlights are all there. Yeah. Um. I mean, outside of, of spoiler warning, I did have, uh, my, my Fallout New Vegas playthrough almost got killed mid-playthrough because the NPC that shows up after you've finished the tops and tries to get you to talk to Caesar. Um, and I'm sure I've talked about this before, um, like invites you to see Caesar. Uh, he runs up to you and he gives you the invite. But for me, instead of doing that, he ran up to me and accosted me with, what do you want? And the only option was buy. And he'd go later. And then <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. everyone and, recognizes that. Every single person who played New Vegas for more than two hours recognizes the something on your mind. Later. Yeah, okay, but the problem <laughs> was then he immediately started another conversation that was, what do you want? By later. What do you want? By later. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to reload hey from the autosave and just run away. <laughs> Can I can I actually just say that as much as I've 
as much enjoyment as I've derived from several Telltale games, uh, Hey Ben, Sia is probably the best like contribution that company's ever made to gaming as a whole. What what was that? Was that a bug we ran into when we were doing that? No, it wasn't even a bug. It was it was just like a so in The Walking Dead after spoilers uh, The Walking Dead season one uh, after like Duck is dead and like everybody on the train is just like hating life and doesn't know what's gonna happen anymore and is just staring into the void and like it's all Ben's fault and he's confessed to you and he's like worried that everyone's gonna throw him out of the group or try to kill him again and he's just like tearing himself apart because he's such a fuck up. Uh, you can like talk to him on the train. You can co- you say hey Ben, and he like looks up from his like sulking like with kind of a hopeful look, and you can talk to him. And then when you leave, you say see ya, and he like goes back to like sulking. <laughs> and then people discovered that people discovered that like when you run out of things to say, what just happens is you go over to him and you're like hey Ben, and he like looks up and you're like see ya, and then he just like looks down, <laughs> just like, crushed. That's great. Uh, just- Okay, there's a great compilation, maybe we can link it, of, like, uh, Lee being an asshole, like, Lee Everett being an asshole in The Walking Dead, and it's, it, 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 as much as I like that game, I think it's probably my favorite part of it, and that, that, that featured pretty heavily in it. Another is just, like, okay, go, go, go and watch the video if you're going to, and then come back, uh, okay, for those of you who don't want to watch the video, my, one of my favorite moments is, you're in the pharmacy, and it's just like Lee Everett uses use axe on pharmacy door, and he like swings the axe into the door, and then he's like, "Huh, keys it is, I guess." <laughs> and then he uses the keys. <laughs> Can I actually say just real quick? Uh, I, in retrospect, my favorite uh, Telltale season is still Sam and Max: The Devil's Playhouse. <laughs> Oh, that's a pre-Walking Dead one. Yeah, that's a bold oh, choice. Yeah. It's a deep cut. I, I, it is what it is. Um. Okay, let's do one last question here, and then we'll wrap up. Um, what do we want here? There's somebody was asking about Marlo Briggs 2. Uh, there's a question about 2D platformers. Um question about whether you'll uh, let's play wizardry 4 which one do you guys want it's a question about titty platformers did i hear that correctly 2d 2d come on oh not that one does not explicitly exclude titty platformers but i actually played a titty platformer for valentine's day yeah, okay, let me ask the question Wednesday. here, and then we can talk about titty platformers. Are any of you interested <laughs> yeah. in 2D platformers, or more specifically, will we ever see one of those on spoiler warning, e.g. Metroidvanias of some kind? Uh, that was Rain 2K. Uh, I'll, I'll just get this out of the way. I've got an answer that is also an anecdote. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got an answer that is also an anecdote. Uh, I didn't have a console growing up. Okay. Who's next? I just wonder what we would talk about. Like, I don't know how you would sustain a long conversation about something in a 2D platformer unless it was I mean, if it's like Braid. Yeah, I was actually just thinking Braid as well. It has been something like that. But I almost wonder, like, if that's... Now's the best time to revisit it. With all of what's happening in the world, you know? 
Um, yeah, like, um, I don't have any particular <laughs> interest in Metroidvania games all that much. I mean, I, I don't hate I, them, I think it I'm could work interested in them, so maybe. If we got rid of Josh, I think it could work. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think you're ever going to see us do more than a 20 minutes with a massacre platformer. I don't think Celeste is something that we could do on the show because holy crap, do you really want to watch us fail at a level? Do you really want to watch me 20 fail minutes at that? While the rest of us either go quiet and bored or start talking about completely unrelated things and, and drive you nuts with not talking about a video game. Um, that's my brand. The the alternative though is I I do think that a a Metroidvania specifically two D game could theoretically work something like Iconoclasts or Owlboy um, or maybe something that isn't so Metroidvania but is more two D narrative based Braid was brought up um, uh, any of uh, you know who stuff uh, the the guys that made Limbo or uh, Inside would probably work well for a short season really short season. Um, but but I think you could do a 2D platformer as a spoiler warning, but it needs to be able to be delivering new content for us to talk about regularly, um, or we need to go in, or it needs to have such a wacky emergent gameplay sensibility that we could have fun with it. The problem with something like a massacre platformer is you're never going to get wacky gameplay. It's going to be watching Josh fail 57 times then beat it on the 58th, and that's not entertaining to watch. It's not entertaining to comment over. And, and it's not even Josh's fault. These games are designed that way. They're yeah. designed to be brutal, hard titles. Um, so that's why you probably won't see The End is Nigh, you, Super Meat Boy, Celeste, uh, N++. These are games I love. These are not games that are designed for streaming at all. Like, at, at all. Unless you're already a pro at them and can just demonstrate how awesome you are at them, it is extraordinarily yeah. hard to stream those games. All right. Let's all move right, on I guess to that's, the uh, no, all no, questions. We're, we're, we we got to move on to the much more important topic of titty platformers. Alex, oh, Jesus Christ! Oh yeah, oh I won't be long with this. So I was gifted Haiti, a game that is oh, no. <laughs> with a robot with jiggly physics in her upper and nether regions, and. Um, it's like a it's it's a hard platformer and you just it's the camera angles are designed to make you look at the ass and tits as much as possible, as you're like climbing oh. over ledges and stuff and and then we discovered there's a whole bunch of skins most of them are pornographic some of them are not though you could do Samus or Widowmaker and there's actually even a Warframe one which I was really excited about. That's all. There's nothing else to say about that game. So, Apparently there's a narrative at some point. Oh, man. Well, uh, it's really hard, and I never, I didn't get through it. So, was this I just... just never oh, it referred to as Upper Nether Region. That's, that's an interesting... <laughs> I'm assuming that's a Canadian thing. <laughs> no, I think I just didn't say it right. But I'm gonna that's, commit that's the at Canadian, this point. That's the Canadian Don't way edit of referring it out. to Robot This caboose. is raw. <laughs> So is this No, but just... it's like sort of it's got that portal vibe. Like it's a lot of um environmental <laughs> storytelling and all that stuff. <laughs> you know. So is this Are just you okay with incidental um, or is this like part did, of your did, ongoing it... research for adult games? Has 
Has anybody made a GLaDOS skin for her? <laughs> oh, no. Um, that would be amazing. It's like GLaDOS's origin story, kind of, I think. I think that's what they're trying to go for. <laughs> what if GLaDOS was a thick robot? People just gift me porn games nowadays. Like, lewd games and porn games. Like, people just give them to me, and then I guess I'm like, well, I guess I'll make a video about Wait. this one, too, at some point. Like, like friends, or like... Yeah, like friends. Chris, you left okay, out. Okay, okay. Well, no, I'm sorry, no, Chris. I'm I'll send you. Out. I'll send you one. Since you no, asked. I just, I just, I, I didn't know if it was a weird, creepy form of harassment or if it was just joking among friends. And I feel like there's a distinction between the two. Oh no, 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 no harassment. People, I welcome all the games because if they're buying them for me, I don't have to buy them. So, that sounds really like I don't know. That sounds bad, but it's like it's like sometimes <laughs> people support. They support what I do through buying a game instead of like pay, um, like patronizing the Patreons or whatever. Yeah, lewd friends are a thing. Yeah, I have a few friends who are pornographically minded, or who are like academics who write about porn. So then it's all cool and professional. Really, the overlap between those two things is pretty significant. What academia and porn? Oh, no, well, I mean, yes, actually, but, uh, no, like, um, between, I, okay, I, I, I'm speaking from, like, like, experience and, like, people I've been sort of friends with and sort of who, who've been involved sort of in this, but I, I find that, like, kind of, it's actually, like, the step goes, like, oh, interested in, like, kind of erotic materials to actually then starts getting curious about it the same way, like, if you go to Disneyland enough times, you start being curious about, like, the history of Disney as a company. And at some point, like, it actually starts to eclipse some of your, like, their appreciation of, like, the actual materials, because they're just like, oh, now I'm just, like, more curious about it. I think Red Scorn is actually well, I guess that's all of us with games, right? In some ways, yeah. I don't know. I, I I am always I. Yeah, Chad is asking uh, what sort of airplane you're on right now, Redscarn. The airplane that has a kitchen where food is being cooked. That's what I thought. Yes, Joshua. Some of us are in kitchens where we have to have food being cooked for a dining room full of diners at the Four Seasons Hotel. It's getting rather specific. Restaurants at the Biltmore. <laughs> Some of us have our computer stuck into the mise-en-scene of a high-pressure culinary powerhouse, Joshua. Some of us are paid by Richie Rich to hang out with him in our spare time, Josh. <laughs> How do I get in on that? A couple oh, of Richie us... Rich. A couple of us are attempting not to cut off our own fingers as we simultaneously hit the press to talk while julienning a carrot for the entree showstopper that will save the hotel from being demolished by the evil tycoon, Josh. By the way, Jin apologizes. <laughs> I, are I don't you think in Ratatouille? Rich. No, Josh, it's my life. It's not some movie. It's not some Pixar film about a rat. This is a real rat. An actual rat with real culinary ambitions. Not like those Hollywood rats. He don't talk. All right. Wait, are you being controlled by a rat right talk. now? I think he is a rat. 
I didn't feel, I feel sorry when Richie Rich's parents got kidnapped because they're rich and it was fine anyways. I never once felt <laughs> yeah, sorry for him. Or that he didn't Richie have Rich friends. I was like, I don't care. I like the roller coaster part. That was good. I like I like the roller coaster part, the McDonald's part, and the fact that the captain oh, of the, the Titanic McDonald's is his part. butler. Yes. Well, um... and that the, there was that cool girl hacker. Wasn't she like the hacker one because she had a cool computer? Is yeah. this movie even real? Yes, yes this Macaulay is real. Culkin plays Richie oh my Rich. God. Come on, get with it. So I feel like it's that Key and Peel sketch where they like have to explain at the end that Gremlins Two really is what they describe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Soup's up. I am trying to un to to figure out how to roll this into uh, an ending segment, and I got nothing. So, um, th thanks on, everybody for tuning in for this. Did, did you? Were you gonna do anything or, with that? Or to put it another way, <clears throat> podcast up. <laughs> the dog. I like that you freaked out a dog. <laughs> That wasn't even Biscuit this time. Bye, everybody. Uh, the, the, the ending music is playing, so we actually cannot keep talking for very much longer. So, you know, uh, got anything to say? Bye, everybody. Thank you for watching. Uh, I gotta walk the dog, oh, and I actually might not be able to do anything else tonight. Okay, bye. Well, we're not. We're hey not guys, I want to walk the dog. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Bye.